Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Head of Performance at Feyenoord Rotterdam, Rick Kost. Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So today, I am speaking to Head of Performance at Feyenoord Rotterdam, Rick Cost, And Rick was recommended to me via Callum Walsh, who is head of performance at Huddersfield Town and is a former guest of the podcast and big friend of the podcast. So I appreciate Callum for making this introduction. So Rick and Callum conversed last season when Huddersfield were negotiating uh, a relegation battle. And it was influences of Rick that really helped them get out of that situation. So it was a pleasure to speak to Rick and we had a little chat around periodization and philosophy, but we also had a really, really interesting chat around the rotation of players and how a performance coach or head of performance can really influence the decision-making of the head coach based on objective and subjective data. So we have a little chat around that, which is super, super interesting. It's something that Rick helped Callum with last season. Then we have a little chat around small-sided games, benchmarking small-sided games. But for me, the most interesting thread that runs throughout this is Rick's background in Olympic uh, in, in hockey. And he won the Olympic gold with the Netherlands hockey team in I believe 2016 so that thread runs throughout this and it's really interesting to get a real insight into how that experience and how that knowledge built up in hockey has been able to be transferred over to the world of football so I hope you enjoy this chat with Rick would love your feedback and I'll speak to you soon this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is also sponsored by Perch. Perch is velocity-based training made easy and built for the 21st century. So engineered at MIT, Perch uses compact 3D cameras to monitor and manage weight room performance without detracting from it. So Perch passively collects velocity and power data, outputs it in real time to athletes and stores it for post-workout analysis. So Perch is a revolutionary and innovative product that enhances workouts, reduces injuries, and most importantly, saves time. Perch works with every level of organization from the 2019 National Championship LSU football team, the NFL's New York Giants, military bases, high schools, performance facilities, and even individual home gyms to name just a few. So Perch is portable, easy to install and intuitive to use, making it ideal for every facility and every training goal. No more pre-workout setup, no more wearables, no more broken strings. Set Perch once, optimize every rep, every set and every training session. For exclusive deals and offers, tell them Rob sent you by going to perch.fit forward slash contact. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Kitman Labs. So Kitman Labs partners with leading sports teams to help them consistently achieve the highest levels of performance by increasing the impact of their data. So over 200 teams across the globe rely on Kitman Labs performance intelligence platform to quantify the costs of performance and injury and receive the right insights at the right time. 
Through unique outcome-driven analytics and the most advanced athlete management system, teams can align their organizations around a shared view of what it takes to drive performance and health and move at the speed of sport to adjust and continuously improve. If you want to know more about Kitman Labs, head over to www.win.kitmanlabs.com forward slash impact. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by iMeasureU. So used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field, IMU Step from iMeasureU is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. So iMeasureU have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident, which includes ultra-high G capabilities to quantify high-impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting, longer battery life to collect data all day, real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. I Measure You, now part of Vicon, works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, US Department of Defence and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about I Measure You, head over to their website, imeasureyou.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at imeasureyou. So without further ado, over to the episode with Rick Cost. Thanks for tuning in to the Pace Performance Podcast. So this evening, I am delighted to welcome Head of Performance at Feyenoord, Rick Cost. So welcome to the podcast, mate. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for coming on. Before we go any further, I want to say a big thank you to Callum Walsh at Huddersfield Town for making this introduction. When Callum says to me, you need to speak to someone, I listen. So it's uh, it's great to get you on, Rick. Thank you very much for uh, giving up an hour of your, of your evening to have a chat. But anyone that doesn't know who you are, do you want to give us a bit of a background on you, your education, and finishing up with uh, what you're doing right now at Feyenoord? Yeah, definitely. So I'm I'm Rick, and I'm uh, 40 years old with a with a background in uh, actually multiple Olympic sports before I came in uh, into into football, um, and especially I did from Beijing to Rio. I did uh, like the the field hockey women and men of the Dutch national team. Uh, with uh, with yeah, like luckily we had a lot of success there. And uh, next to that, I did. I started off with handball. Also tried to get the ladies in in Holland to uh, yeah to reach the the Olympics in Beijing. Unfortunately, unfortunately didn't didn't work out. But we reached our first European Championship by then, so which was a real big milestone. Um, and in, um, in in 2016, I actually joined Feyenoord as a as a head of performance and. Uh, try to to make a long term uh, uh, performance um, like a performance track where where everything came together in um, yeah in the in the world where we try to combine football uh, tactics football performance but also physical uh, performance and uh, yeah up to now it actually worked pretty well. Excellent. Did you how, how much did you take from the hockey world, or how much have you taken from the hockey world into the football world? A lot, yeah, okay. a lot. Tell me so, more. So, the, so we have like uh, in Holland we have uh, Rene Wormhout. He's uh, he's one of the guys who is doing the Dutch uh, the Dutch national football team as a performance coach, and he written this book which is uh, called the Athletic Skills Model. And Geert Savelsberg, who is uh, who was my uh, my teacher at uh, in the university uh, while I was doing uh, 
human movement science actually said, you know, there is a lot of cross-link in between all these sports and sport types. So if you can find the donor value in one sport and bring it over to the other sport, you actually, uh, yeah, you, you're actually uh, one of the pioneers. You try to to bring new stuff in, and that's when I start thinking about, all right, how can I actually cross-link all these field hockey um, intensity, um, the way we were training into into football, and one of the biggest things we uh, really tried to do was uh, was like getting intensity into the game. So what I noticed was is in football everyone was thinking about like volumes. You know, we have we have to reach uh, 500 uh, high intensity uh, distance uh, meters, or we have to uh, reach about uh, 100 accelerations and and 80 decelerations. But actually sounded pretty strange. So so how are we going to do 100 accelerations? And then you have to have your laptop next to the the the, the pitch and say, all right, so now we have to stop training because we reached our 100. And uh, that's when I, what we did at hockey was like try to combine this physical data with the tactical data. So we say if, if we do one minute of intensity of the game, we actually know if we've done 10 about how many high intensity distance, uh, how much intensity distance we reached and how many actions. So why don't we just combine a couple of parameters? And that's what I brought into football. So uh, actually build up all the periodization around that model. And uh, work pretty well. It's it's interesting when when I hear people coming into football because over here in England, I think it is changing. It's definitely changing. But up until probably five, maybe ten years ago, if you were in football, you got a job in football. There wasn't much crossover from people coming out or non-football people getting into uh, <laughs> getting into football. And that's changed recently. I had the the guys at the FA Football Association on who pretty much all got a background in anything but so yep. hockey ben rosenblatt with the, the hockey girls um martin evans with the cycling bryce kavanagh with the rugby so it's really interesting to hear that but how how were you how, how were these methods accepted by the the football guys um was it would, were you having to communicate them in a certain way to make it sound football specific and that, that's horrible language from me but try to <laughs> paint it in a way that is uh, acceptable for them? Yeah, definitely. So I knew when I came into football that it will, would be a struggle. So for the first year, I actually tried to find the terminology which helped me to create everything I knew into a football situation. So for me, like an, an, an action in, in, in field hockey, you say, you know, we have to do an action. So an action is, for instance, like, uh, let's say, um, one acceleration, uh, all usually means like 0.8 deceleration. So we say, all right, so it's one action, is one deceleration and one acceleration combined. But in football, that will never work. So if you say, oh, we have to reach one action, so I say, you know, how don't, why don't we call like a football action? And a football action is everything we do with or without the ball, with, but there probably has to be like a change of direction. So they know like, oh, so let's say we do like a turnover. So you lose the ball and we do a turnover. That's like one football action. And I really tried to get all the terminology around football things. So, um, for instance, in the gym, we, we don't do gym sessions or weight training. No, we do football performance. That means, um, let's say you do extensional, you do snatches or you do something extend with extension. So, all right, so this is good for like your jumps for heading or defending a corner. So, we had football duel power, you know. So, we really tried to get 
all the like the football terminology um, because like um, mobility work is like functional football mobility so you need to reach like if your foot goes up to to catch a high ball in the air you need to have like functional football mo mobility so not only hip extension you just need to have so I really try to get everyone like in contact with uh, what, what we actually needed to do and need to improve because if in the beginning I also make like mistakes like ah, we have to uh, reach um, we have to do high intensity and then everyone was playing really small 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 sided games you know not just small sided games but also in areas which weren't really functional so that's when I said all right but football is not only like being on your front feet and being like turning and rotated is like going from small to big because in within a collision you have to make sure that you the ball goes to areas where there's more space so why don't we make the small side of games a bit bigger and it looks more like football and that's also when i came up with a term like playing in-game games and out-of-game games which are like in-game is more like conditioning games and out-of-game games are more like tactical games so I really tried to dig myself into uh, the terminology which were which made it understandable for all these coaches. Otherwise, I would be, have been kicked out in, uh, in, in, in six months probably. <laughs> How did the players react to this, this change of, was it a change of terminology or did they not really have any terminology before? It was just a gym session. No, yeah, there were there were some uh, some terms. I have to say, there wasn't a lot of uh, performance or, or physical performance in uh, at Feyenoord when I when I arrived. But um, actually, they were they, they were pretty okay with it. Doesn't didn't seem like it was really strange, you know. As long as you put the word football in uh, in the sentence, it actually sounds pretty good, cool, pretty good. And also, it sounded pretty pretty, yeah, like normal it's ah oh, we do it for the football stuff because um the thing i also heard from the more old school uh, coaches was yeah i know we're not in an athletic school here we uh, you know uh, if you want to do running we go uh, you, you run a marathon so that's why he said all right so all right, really cool but guys you know it's with football sprints so it's not only doing sprints but it's sub maximum football sprints and it helps you do turnover after turnover so it helps you to uh, when you lose the ball, to to actually have a um, like be an have an advantage for being earlier at the opponent goal than if you're not able to do like this repeated sprint stuff. So I think players actually uh, yeah get used to it, got used to it pretty fast, even faster than all the coaches. Mm -hmm. But cool. it did change a lot. Yeah, nice, love that. That's really interesting for people. I think to to change that terminology to get the buy-in from players so yeah i appreciate that yeah, cause, so cause, it, yeah sorry but no go on. the thing is being like a performance coach on the in the first place you're actually an alien you know because all these guys are football trainers and they say ah rick you know uh, or whatever performance trainer you are is like performance trainer. you're not allowed to speak about football so that's why everyone gets his uefa c then at least they know oh you know i did done something in football all right but it's only a ticket but yeah Without your ticket, you're actually pretty much, if you're pretty analytic, you actually see the game usually, I won't say better, but at least like the same as a, as a football coach. And even though it's like I've done this, this small, um, not, not really scientific research, but I've done this research for, uh, for, uh, for a little program I, I was working on, 
And the fun part was like, who is having the most contacts in visual football uh, performance? So, so uh, how many hours a year is a football coach actually looking at watching football? Say, so, yeah, I actually don't know, but let's say like 50 games and all opponent games. So let's say it's like uh, about 300, maybe 400 hours. And then, um, all right, so how much is like the performance trainer, you know? Well, he's actually looking way more because he also looks like in depth in more like analytical stuff in how guys are moving around the ball and without the ball. So he goes up to 700. And how much for like a video performance guy? Well, he goes all the way from here to the moon, you know? He just 24 hours a day. So who is actually having the knowledge about football? And that's when they try, they they got more like understanding about what it actually meant to be a performance coach or a video performance guy. And uh, yeah, and, and just have to, every time you have to defend yourself or not really defending, but explain yourself why um, someone who is not into football still can have a lot of knowledge about football, but on a different perspective. Mm -hmm. How important is it, do you think, and this has come up recently through conversations I've had on the podcast, but externally as well, the importance of having formal qualifications like coaching qualifications you mentioned there UA for C have you got any coaching qualifications technical no i don't no okay. i i do give some courses on the yep. uh, so i'm not having the the ticket myself but uh, i i think having a, a having a qualification actually helps a lot so one of the things I also say to the guys who are working for me at Feyenoord, like the first thing you have to do when you come into football is get your license. Make sure that you just do it. You know, it's pretty. Uh, it's not that difficult, and it's helping you in an analytical way uh, of of the knowledge about football. But just just get it. You know, it just helps you. And usually, also the club wants to help you pay it, so it's also not uh, something you can't overcome on a financial with financial with no financial means, but. Um, I think it definitely helps you. And it's also a thing because being a performance alien and us being performance <laughs> aliens, um, oh, it's actually also like all these trainers think that, ah, this guy is actually coming in and he's taking over the area. You know, it's like, uh, it's like being the, the big monkey uh, on top of the hill. And this guy climbing up and is doing all this effort, working from seven till seven, 24 hours a day or like seven days a week. And he's actually working harder, you know. So what is he going to do? He's actually eating my, uh, my, my pie. So um, it's also good that you like show them that you want to put effort in the knowledge of having of football. It's like a bit of both sides. It's not that only... The trainer, the coaches have to adapt. We also have to adapt to the situation. Otherwise, you will never be accepted. Cool. Love that. So we're going to have a little chat around periodization. And like I said to you just before we kicked off, it's come up quite a lot in terms of the structure of the week, how things are pieced together, especially in big clubs like Feyenoord who have got multiple games a week, potential European competition, etc., etc. From a, from a uh, I suppose, a, a bird's eye view of your week and how it's set up in a, in a one-game week versus two-game week, I'd be really interested to get your your perspective. And then when we've got that, we can dive into little areas of that week to uh, get me more detail. Is that all right? Yeah, definitely. Cool. Definitely. So I think one of the, one of the things which uh, helped me throughout the years um, is 
being out of like Olympic situation is that you with the field hockey uh, teams we actually played like eight or nine games depending if you reach the final in in like 20 12 or 13 days so what I did was like all right looking at your most like horrible week or best week depending on how you will want to call it so having like a a Sunday to Saturday with a with a Wednesday in between game you know so that means you have three games a week so we call that the worst case scenario so if you know that you have to do these 90 minutes uh, per week then you also know what the end result of your periodization will have to do will, will, will have to reach so coming back to um, counting the minutes of high intensity means that you can count back also how many weeks of yeah, like um, uh, preseason, you need uh, to reach the amount of worst case minutes. So that's actually the base about uh, of how we started it. And um, the starting point always always is pretty difficult, but everyone knows that you can probably train like four times a week or maybe five times a week playing a, a test match and doing uh, two times five minutes six v six. You know that that's nothing serious. And then um, on the volume base, you actually look, all right, so what's the volume of these worst case week? And we learned about all the competition years before. So um, really try to build it up, try to create fixed weeks, try to create standard weeks, but also try to create worst case scenario weeks and uh, build from scratch actually all the way up to worst case scenario, adding 10, 12, 15%. And it's actually nothing different than um, a lot of uh, a lot of like pioneers uh, like Tim Gabbett um, before uh, me uh, did stuff but the only thing we really try to add is like really knowing what it means to to reach the worst case scenario and if you know the worst case scenario you can like chunk it up to the beginning and knowing what every exercise means also means all right so now today we have to reach 10 in game minutes and next week on a Tuesday we need 15 and the week after we need 20 and the week after the fourth week is all, always like we call it like an adaptation week so you have to get used because you can't climb every week you know um, otherwise the, the sky would be the limit but unfortunately that's, that's, that's not the case so the fourth week is like a similar week as week three and then you build on and yeah then you use test matches and um, like twice a week maybe three times a week to to build towards your uh, your worst case scenario so i think that's like the i don't know how you call it in english where you say the geraamte so the, the skeleton of your the red line of the uh, of the periodization is really try to reach your worst case scenario so how would that then get interrupted when you've got a cup comp you get through into a you get through a competition and you get into the next round that interrupts potentially interrupts that how do you then change that to, to factor in the game yeah but it, it, it you can say like it interrupts but it, it can also help you so um one of the things in holland which helped with like the five in the five changes so we had five guys we could interchange so yes subs, instead of three instead of three so that okay. actually helped us uh, a lot so we can say all right so now your worst case scenario so your level is say playing 90 playing 60 playing 90 and uh, you got like your trainings in between so let's say week uh, week one you play 90 60 90 and we will the next week we go to 90 75 90 and then you go to 90 90 90 but then again you know we also know that 
um, roughly said, also depend on uh, per player, of course, and position, but let's say roughly said, if you played like six games in two weeks, 90-90-90, there will be a moment that your player is just not of value anymore. He just, his performance will, will, will go like to 95, maybe 90%. You see that his, he declines in his level, like his power output during the game. Um, yeah, first of all, like in the last 15 minutes, you see that he, uh, he drops. And the next game, you see, ah, oh, the last 30 minutes and the next game, 45 minutes. So it's, it's pretty, like, it helps if you have a coach who can listen to you and say, all right, so let's try to do something smart with subs. So in the build-up towards your worst-case scenario, try to get your best players to play 90, maybe 30, and then 90 again. But your team, yeah, has to be good enough to keep the nil or maybe a one-nil um, uh, advances of up to six, uh, 60 minutes and then the, the best guys are coming in or maybe a, a good striker is coming in and he has loads of advantage because the team already played 60 minutes where you have to play again so the level of your opponent will be lower in the last 30. So yeah, put in a striker so uh, or, or the best striker you have for instance. So he plays like, you, so you can actually pick games where you really need your best players to be in 90 minutes of course but you can also pick games where you have like your second choice uh, playing 60 minutes and your first choice is playing 30. It helps him um, get through the week better and also through the year better. Um, but it also helps your team because yeah, you want to have power output on the most important moments of the game, which is usually like the, the, the last 10 minutes of the first half and the last uh, 15 of the second half. How, how do you model that, Rick? And if is how is that influenced by previous results? So if you if you're if you're planning to have your best striker only doing thirty minutes on the Wednesday, but you lose or lose heavily on the Saturday, how much of an influence does that have on it? I suppose, like we spoke about the start before we were on air, <laughs> you've got to be you've got to have a strong character and a strong philosophy yeah. to say we're moving on. We've planned this. This is still going to happen rather than be dictated by results. And that's yeah. often not a performance thing. That's a head coach thing. Definitely yeah. is. Yeah. The yeah. only thing we can do is like advise, give advice. But then again, um, you don't have to sub four guys. You know, um, we, uh, within the hockey, uh, within the field hockey, we actually notice that if you change one guy, it doesn't affect the team. If you change two guys, it still doesn't affect the team. But if you train three guys, it completely affects the team. So the, correct, the characteristics of playing the game with eight similar guys is almost the same as with 10, which we have the last game. So the, it's, it's more like an emotional thing that you actually want to have this, the best 11 every game on the, on, the, uh, on the field. But it doesn't help you because... These guys are, you're pulling, the, like the fuel is dropping from, from game to game if they reach this point when they get tired and, or they get injured. So why not just sub one or two guys and get them in later on in the game? It actually helps you um, create a better performance at the end of the game. So um, the, basis from, the basics from this idea came from uh, when, we, when we went to the Olympics in London. Um, like, of course, you have like a four-year uh, period where you, where you work towards this Olympic, uh, Olympic uh, tournament. But um, I think two years before, we said, all right, so, you know, every game, we're just going to sub everyone. 
like up like up and forth so we tried to find the best combinations guys who were finding each other better or guys who were actually scoring goals together you know so we tried we make these couples or, or threesomes in the game and we say all right these guys have to go in as much as possible of course hockey is an interchange sport so it's not really a one-on-one example but the idea came from that we noticed that the guys who actually were less good in the beginning at the end we actually had different difficulty in choosing what we actually want from them so the right back who is not so fast but had a, had a, has a great pass um, came in where we needed a great passer and then um, the next game we said all right so now we have like a really fast opponent on that position they want to play like back on back so make sure that we have a fast guy there so that's not the best passer who came in but it was like the guy who has the best the best runs you know the fastest runs and that's when you notice that you got more like this specificity um, per mm. player um, and we it, it wasn't about oh the best player has to be in it was more like oh he has this capability so we can use him in this game because we need that part of him and uh, that's actually the base the basics from this idea and uh, when I came into football, of course, everyone said, yeah, no, football is no, not hockey. And of course, I understand football is not hockey. But the idea stays. If your opponent is more tired and your best player comes in, time and space for him are like an advantage because the defenders of the opponent obviously are more tired. And then it comes to personality and making sure that you have it, that you, that you periodize it really good and choose the right games for it to start with. So we start with the bottom five, you know? So, all right, so now we're playing one of the bottom five, um, which probably means that we have a big chance of winning this, this one. So uh, let's make sure that our number, uh, our mid, our mid, mid, uh, our best mid, mid guy is not on the pitch for the first 60 and we just brought in the last, uh, the last 30 minutes. And it actually, well, so now the game's actually speeding up at the end of the, of the play instead of, oh, everyone's running, you know, get a running uh, game. So everyone is trying to, to um, like, uh, we call it like make the play dead. So, okay. uh, so yeah, we're 1-0 we up. But now we said, all right, so we have more than enough energy. So we have, and we have a lot of subs. We have five subs and we have our best players on the pitch. So... There, there came more confidence in, 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 these, uh, in the coach's idea about how to use them. And of course, if you played PSV or Ajax, the best 11 are on the pitch. I understand, of course. And you have to make, you have to, you try to get your best 11 day in or play in, play out on the pitch always. But it's just not with a, with a schedule we had last, last year. Um, I think we had like four windows where we played, um, uh, nine games in three weeks and then we had one game and then again nine games so there was no we, there was no time for breathing and uh, you have to travel all the way to Moscow you have to travel to Kiev you know so there just not there's, there was no time to breathe out or in so why not use our best players for the best games and the best players in the last section of the game against for instance the 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 the, the bottom five how are you so in the terms of making the decisions on these players is it a subjective thing is it are you using objective measures to decide whether these do actually need to have the half an hour or whether they can go again yeah no usually it is uh, it's yeah it's, it's objective so we have all these these volumes for a week of course um, but we also have the questionnaires we try to make it as objective as possible so if we saw a change in like uh, fatigue 
our sleeping rhythms or uh, we saw that the level of uh, high intensity distance and actions and repeated sprints during the game dropped a bit so for one game it can be coincidence of course maybe two games also but then we thought you know why not start if, if someone drops already um, like two games why not say to the coach you know it might be good to just sub him first or uh, bring him later on in the game uh, so really try to make it as yeah as good as possible and and the intensity minutes actually minutes actually help us because we chunk every game into quarters like 15 minutes and we say all right so what is the relative um, amount of minutes you reach every 15 minutes so all right so now uh, if we play a good game we play um, uh, let's say psv and we are all in the game um, uh, the first will usually is like 12 or 13 minutes you reach in, in, in game zone. The second 15 minutes you drop a bit and the last usually goes up a bit. And then the second half you usually see, all right, so we start off pretty uh, good again, like 12, 13 minutes out of 15. And then all of a sudden, if you see there is some fatigue in a player, it just drops significantly. And sometimes the last 15, they only reach five or six minutes, you know because the level of the game drops or the opponent does something different or there is change of tactics. But if it happens two games in a row, usually it's not about tactics anymore. It's more or less like, all right, so plus the questionnaire, plus a drop in amount of um, game intensity minutes they actually reach. We advise, so, you know, uh, might be good to, uh, yeah, to let, let them play for 30 minutes or maybe 45 minutes or whatever you want. Uh, but take into consideration that his performance on the pitch is a bit off right now. And I totally admit, you know, it's also a bit subjective because it's also, it might be something I have in mind or something I maybe, is, it might be wishful thinking, but somehow freshness of players drops when they play more games. And um, I think having someone like hungry for the ball, keeping them hungry for the ball, even if they don't start the game. Um, and of course, you have to be smart, you know, all these players have these extreme personalities uh, sometimes. But if you have a chat with a guy, say, all right, you know, it's better for you. And it's not that you're out of the team. It's more or less that you're helping the team try to improve the performance at the end when everyone's tired and you're actually fresh. So it's all about managing uh, managing perspective, managing ideas, but um, I definitely believe in the fact that you can use players on certain periods where uh, where they actually uh, function function like their function is best. Mm -hmm. It was something that I spoke to Callum about, and clearly you had a these conversations had a big impact on yeah. <laughs> how they did how they do did certain things uh, last season. I think it was so. Yeah, that's really that's really interesting. Yeah, and the, the nice thing about uh, Callum was actually that he actually they actually tried it. You know, yeah. they actually, but they did it quite, uh, quite big with three subs. You know, I, I would they never, with it. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so everyone, I thought, I thought, I think I read something about this game that everyone said, how can they actually change the, um, the, the starting list like this? You know, you, they must be crazy. And then all of a sudden, they win uh, in the last two minutes or three minutes of the game. They just, I think it was like a, the one zero actually. Yeah, I think it was one of the Bolton? games that they, yeah, they had to, I think they had to win. It was like back end of the season, relegation, exactly. yeah. Yeah, so it was yeah. a big win for them also. So, um, And I think three subs, you know, that's also bringing it to the limit, of course. But I love, like, if coaches are actually open for this kind of, uh, like, yeah, conversations, of course. 
And uh, but it's also being smart and having confidence in uh, of, and the coach has to be have confidence in you as a head of performance that they actually want to listen and actually use it to in their advantage. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Rick. Hope you enjoyed part one. So over in part two, we discuss more around small-sided games, benchmarking small-sided games, and how they link to the physical and technical and tactical outputs. But just a quick reminder, if you haven't downloaded the Pace Performance Performance Staff Survey that I did in partnership with Satanta College, you can do that now via the website. And we have information on anonymous salary data um, from the 138 people that I surveyed in British football to get an idea of where the land lies when it comes to employment now in English football, what experience you need, what, how many internships do you need, what are employers looking for because these guys are on the ground in football clubs. So you can download that from the website. But just before we do dive into part two, I want to say a big thanks to Hawking Dynamics for sponsoring this episode today. So Hawking Dynamics offer the world's first wireless force plate testing system. So the Hawking Dynamics system is built around what coaches want so they can test in the real world and not just in the lab. So you're able to capture reliable data on all athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor progress from their cloud-based system from anywhere in the world. So as I've mentioned, the Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, which means they're portable, and they're also trusted by teams at a number of different levels in a number of different sports. So integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring system uh, could not be easier and more affordable. So if you want to get to know a little bit more about Hawking Dynamics or actually see their plates in action, head over to the website, uh, which is hawkingdynamics.com, um, which you can, I mean, you can also schedule a demo and follow them on Twitter at Hawking Dynamics. And also sponsoring this episode today is Black Box Fitness. So Black Box Fitness are a sports performance equipment manufacturer based in Belfast in Northern Ireland. So if you are looking for a full gym fit out, if you're lucky enough to be looking for a full gym fit out or just want to add additional pieces to what you've already got, whether that be barbells, dumbbells, plates, maybe a new rack, some flooring, etc., etc. Have a little look at what Black Box Fitness can offer. So you can head to their website, which is blkboxfitness.com, or for a more informal view of what they do, head over to their Instagram, because they've got some really cool images of some of the recent projects that they've run in Australia, in the UK, in Europe, etc. So head over to their Instagram, which is at blkboxfitness, and they're the same on Twitter. I'd like to have a little chat around the, the strength and power or football strength or however you however you call whatever you want to call it um, and where where this fits in in the this kind of conversation and, and how volume and intensity well intensity based on what you've said how intensity varies across the week across different weeks um for those those key players that you want in and around the team for the players that maybe not so key versus the you know all the all the rest of the the guys so i'm really interested to see how that plays out with what you've just said yeah so um obviously we have um like individual programs because um yeah you know if you're playing three games a week um it will be quite tough to have a, a, a like a, a power session but what we try to do is like uh, what i what i try to build in is that we have gym sessions every day 
So, um, and it sounds pretty rough, you know, it's like, wow, how can you do a gym Radical. session? Radical. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> yeah. like a gym session is not always like the gym session. You, It's not CrossFit, you know, you're not going to the limit. It's also working on specific areas, doing upper body work, doing more core work, uh, maybe doing some more um, um, aligning stuff, you know, that you have to be or outlined or inlined. I don't know how you call it in English, but... Uh, so, um, so we definitely, in the beginning of the season, of course, there's more time and space uh, to do more power work. Um, but what do we, uh, I think one of the things we definitely try to, try to get in on a um, like structural way is um, doing like power-ups before training. So okay, explain more. Yeah, so that's more yeah. like having, it's, it's pretty like heavy stuff, but it's more like three repetitions. With a lot of rest and uh, that actually helps us first to load to power up to, to load the muscles before you do sprint work and stuff but one of the things which is definitely which is which is yeah like on top of my list is that it never it may never influence the, the football session so in the beginning when I started these power up, when we started these power ups, sometimes guys were complaining, oh, my, my feet feel so light, you know, I just don't have any feeling anymore. So how can I sprint today? But luckily it was preseason. So we could actually like uh, tune it a bit more into the right direction. So we found out that if you do like three repetitions and then build it up to four repetitions, you adapt yeah, to these sessions. So instead of doing like heavy stuff after training, we did these power ups. And it actually helped them getting more resilient. Um, but it also gave the idea that it wasn't a gym session like a gym session, you know, and it, making really small steps. And of course, you know, you want to make bigger steps usually. You want to make like, all right, I want to make this leap. I want to go from um, like a squat maybe up to 140 kg, but um, yeah, in, in four weeks. But that's not my aim. My aim is to have more resilient players. So sometimes they're like uh, 74 kilos, um, but still they have like enough power and enough, uh, like more than enough resilience to make sure that they don't break or they don't fall off, tip over. So the idea about uh, having gym sessions every day is try to make more resilient players actually. And of course, when we have this window of guys who need to have more, uh, more strength uh, training, like the, the subs, for instance, we, of course, do more like strength and, and speed work. Um, but I think the idea about uh, our gym sessions is that it may never influence the, um, the football training, but we definitely need to make sure that we use these power-ups to get more resilient. Because you need to have pull and and tears, you know, tear and pull in your in your muscles to 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 strengthen them, of course. But um, what, what what exercises will be involved in these power ups? Yeah, we like have power up sessions. Right? Yeah, we have loads of functional exercises actually. You know, like um, like jumping lunges or weighted lunges. Um, but we also have like jumps and uh, with weight vests, for instance. Um, but also Olympic numbers, you know, starting off with light, light uh, snatches or uh, night, light pulls, uh, maybe some pull-ups, but um, it depends. Usually it's like uh, we got, I make these five ring type, it's not the five ring model because that's, uh, I, I would have stolen that one from someone else, but uh, it's more or less like we have these five rings, one is speed, one is uh, explosivity, one is max power. Um, 
one is flexibility uh, and one is coordination. So we periodize these over time. So let's say we now, this week, for instance, we are in a, uh, in a high power um, week, uh, which means that we have like um, more heavily, heavy uh, exercises. And for instance, now we did like these cross jumps uh, with weight vests. Um, and we had um, squats, back squats. Uh, and we did some um, like uh, hip locks with uh, wall, um, wall support. Um, but all like all with like 60% of your body weight or about um, four times three reps. Um, so next week we have another one. So we usually have like three week periods. And then the week after we do like the high power goes to the, the after training session. And we just keep the level there. So we don't really rise the, uh, the amount of, of kgs, but we just keep the level there and we go up to speed, uh, speed work. Uh, before the uh, like in the in the sessions as a as the main character of the of the of the gym session so everything comes together in one session but we we make sure that one of the circles is bigger that week or that period of three weeks so that, that, does that make sense yeah it makes com makes complete sense so then the three by four so the players do their thing get in, get into the building do their thing then they come in into the gym Doing the power up session, not gym session. Exactly. Power up session, then straight out, straight out onto the field. Yeah. So we have yep. uh, okay. thirty minutes before the game. Before the sorry, before the uh, before training. So um, usually we train at eleven o'clock. So ten thirty, uh, we start off with our pre activation, which is this week like power up sessions, and we have like two of these power up sessions, and then we have more flexibility. Uh, we have recovery session, of course. We have uh, a game preparation session, which is not a power up, but which is more like functional exercises with jumping, single leg hops, etc. Um, so um, yeah, so it, it takes about 20, 25 minutes. Guys go to their uh, to their boots and then go out and uh, go straight into the field warm-up. And it actually helps me because you have these, like this pre-warm-up and the muscles are pretty much, um, yeah, you know, they're, they're already uh, ready for, uh, for a good session. So our, our warm-up is actually more like a uh, coordination work. So, you know, so today we had this uh, agility track, for instance, uh, which means we do the, the, the standard warm-up with our bounces and with our uh, hip locks and uh, with the functional stretching and we use straight into like one of these functional uh, met methods. So we have a lot of change of directions, but it's all because I have like 25 minutes in the warm-up. So a warm-up is usually not just a standard warm-up, but a warm-up is actually a warm-up plus. So it actually helps us being better in uh, yeah in change of directions, in, in jumping, in speed work. So we have high speed work, etc., etc. Really try to periodize that over time. And every week one of these element is uh yeah is uh, on top of the list and all the other elements are just coming uh yeah just uh, being touched on what was the integration of the olympic lifting and the derivatives like because especially over here that's not i mean people do use it but it's kind of a little bit ooh, am i an olympic lifting guy am i not is it is it too hard is it is it should i be doing this yeah what was, what was it like what was it like over there with them yeah well the thing was well, when i came in uh, at Feyenoord, no one actually knew what a barbell was. So, <laughs> when I, was this, Rick? How long ago was this? Uh, 2016. So okay. it was roughly yeah. four or five years, four and a half years, I reckon. Uh, five years actually. So, um, so um, first of all, it's more like a technique thing. 
you know, one of the things which I found really ir irritating that um, having a gym culture or creating a gym culture also means that you have to know the basics of gym. If you, it's pretty strange that one of our guys, let's say, goes to another club and they ask him to do a proper squat and he's not able to do a squat. You know, so it's also, it's just part of your education of being yeah, a football player at the highest level. So you need to have a proper squat. You need to have a proper snatch, you know, but, but it's not about the weights. It's more about the technique. And what I really found great about these Olympic numbers, although there may be like 10% of our program, is that they do give you this, this sudden explosivity, you know, it's like pop and you're there. It's like having control about your body. But it's the same with playing handball. So it's just handball is also one of the things we use just to make, just to have like a different interpretation of your perception. Where are you, where you are, you just see the game different and it helps you being a better football player. So also these Olympic numbers just help you feel better, get in touch with your body. Um, so it's not about doing a squat with 140 kilos. It's more like doing a proper squat and being explosive up, you know, being good in extension and making a transfer to words like jumping during the corner or like a, 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 a long, like a long or a short corner, whatever you uh, yeah. Yeah, want to no, transfer it Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Brilliant. I think that'll give the, um, the guys who are gym based, who may be listening to this a little bit of an idea of like in 2016, these guys didn't know what a barbell was. So that's, yeah. yeah, that's, that's super interesting. Super interesting. Definitely. Yeah. So just, just come into the, just come into the small side of games, Rick. I know we've mentioned it a couple of times. But we had a little chat again beforehand around your focus on intensity more than volume, and, and you've mentioned that right at the start as well. But I'd be interested to see the, the, the benchmarks that you use for, for, for small-sided games and linking the physical with the technical and tactical. Exactly. Uh, that'd, be, that'd be really interesting to, yeah. to hear from you, if that's all right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, one of the things which is, I think it's been there for ages, is everyone says you have to train the game. You know, so it's like uh, everyone in every sport are ah, training the game, whether it's Michael Jordan or it's well, whoever is saying it, you know. So everyone wants to train the game. So um, what we actually, what, what annoyed me was that what then actually is the game? I didn't actually know what the game was. So the only thing I knew is that like in a tactical way, you know, we play a final, we play 4-3-3 and we play with a 6 and not with a 10. So, the, so we have a defensive midfielder instead of yep. an offensive mid midfielder. So... You know, but what then is the game? I couldn't find any numbers about the game. The only thing I knew is like, all right, we walk, we run about 11, maybe 12 kilometers a game. All right, so really nice. But I can go here outside, just walk three hours. I've done 12 kilometers also. You know, it doesn't say anything. Yeah, we reach about 1,200 meters above uh, high day, so HID, so high intensity distance. 1,200, oh, nice. But yeah, so what are we going to do now? We're just letting guys run up and up and forth, and that's the game? No, that's not the game. So what we did, um, I wanted to make sure that the the backbone of our uh, training would be the game, and that's either like small sided games or big sided games. You know, you don't want to play a six against six every week or every every day. So you want to have a lot of difference in in your small sided game. So. Um, First of all, what we did, really simple actually, but it took us a lot of, lot of time, was uh, going for a three against three all the way up to a 10 feet, 10 plus two keepers, which actually is a training 11 against 11. Uh, and we actually, um, like, um, 
So now I have to, now my English is actually uh, uh, getting in here. So uh, we, <laughs> we, 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 we try to um, prove that there are similar parameters in these um, small-sided games in a relative value to the, to the, to the actual game you play on, on Sunday. And what we found with a, with a really good regression was that if you play like everything above 5v5, so 6v6, 7v7, 8v8s, 9v9s, and 10v10s then, there were like five parameters which actually in a different, of course, in a different uh, value to each other or relation to each other. But they all were relative to the game. We had like this like 98, or 89, 98% uh, correlation. And it was like covered distance. Of course, you know, if you do like 115 or 120 meters per minute, um, and then you do like an 11 against 11, and you also do 115 uh, meters a minute, there's a relation, you know? So if you do uh, 12 meters uh, per minute above 20 kilometers an hour during the game on Sunday, and you actually play a seven against seven, and you also do the same, like a, a 12 or 15, uh, whatever the value may be for your position, uh, meters above 20 kilometers an hour, hey, we got like this link. And if you have like uh, 1.2 repeated sprints, and repeated sprints is like one sprint above 20 kilometers an hour or 25 kilometers an hour, and um, like the repeated sprint is within eight seconds of the first sprint. So if you have this repeated sprint and the, the, the count is, let's say, like, let's make it easy, like one, and during the game, it's also one. Hey, we got a relation. So now we have five parameters, which is like percentage of high intensity distance versus total distance. Uh, we have actions, which actually, well, that, that's a bit of a, like a statistical trick we had to pull on there because uh, we had to um, add all, uh, all accelerations and decelerations together because we found that above 6v6, if you played it, um, the relation stays roughly about 1 to 0.8, or it went from 1 to 0.85, but it didn't really go to 1.0.7 or 1 to 0.6. So we always had one acceleration versus 0.8 decelerations. So these five parameters helped us to say, all right, so if we want to have, if we want to play the game or train the game, we have to create benchmarks on these five parameters which yeah, actually tell us what the game means in worth of external load. And that's when it came really interesting. So we said, all right, so we don't, but we don't go to average everything, you know, because one time you have like a 6v6 and you're playing, let's say 125 meters per minute um, covered distance, you have 10 meters per minute above 20 kilometers an hour you have roughly five actions per minute and you do um, 0.7 repeated sprints um, and your um, your uh, high intensity distance to cover distance is about it's like 12%. Um, you'd say, all right, so that's pretty cool, but the next time one of these five is off and the other one is on. So we say, all right, so let's see if the combination of these five, uh, we're looking for the top three heaviest um, of these um, games you actually ever played and that became our benchmark so we averaged the first the top three of our all 6v6 7v7 8v8s 9v9s etc etc and we found that all right so we need to if we want to improve our game or speeden up the game actually want to play a faster game that means we have to 
uh, reach at least the average of the top three. And that's what we call like a worst case scenario again. So the idea was called like the worst case scenario. And um, that's when actually the game really got interested because we actually had to prove that it also took some effort. And that's when good old heart rate came in. So we knew that the heart rate during the game average was, for instance, let's say about like 85% of your, uh, uh, your HR max. Um, and that's where we say, all right, so if the combination of external load benchmarks exceeds these, these levels uh, we, we put as a set as a benchmark, and our heart rate is above 85% of, uh, of your maximum heart rate, it yeah, definitely costs you a lot. And the intensity is high. So now we try to find how are we going to play these small-sided games um, yeah, on the highest level. And that's when we uh, needed to get out all yeah, necessary, not football stuff. And we called it like a conditioning game. And it was netto playtime. That meant that the balls were either with the coach playing the ball in, um, sometimes totally on the different side where the mm -hmm. team was, because everyone has to like go towards direction, making sure you, you play press on the ball side. Uh, and then the ball goes out and the ball goes in on the totally other side. So this conditioning games actually had different, like the football stays in there, but there were yeah, different rules. Also, there was no throw-in, there were no uh, long corners, there were no free kicks. Because if we play that, we call it actually like a tactical game. Because it's not really conditioning. Because if you put everything in, you only played for five minutes, you got like your netto playing time will be like three minutes, you know. That's, you will never be having like this conditioning stuff in your, um, in your game if you do that. So. So, so that's how we use these small and big-sided games. And... Um, uh, we started off with like team averages that was about like 10 years ago in, in field hockey and then um, like the means in, in, in football were, were a lot more than I had in Olympic sports so we had time to do some research about it and we found that every position has its uh, position potential, potential we call it. So if you want to have a guy coming in from uh, another team or you buy a guy, you buy a player and he's not able to deliver the same like um, benchmarks on that position or he has totally different DNA um, yeah you definitely know that he's not going to play the game you actually want him to so we can use it on totally like on all different types of um, of information towards the coach but also how, if we are training the game or not the problem we had was that everything smaller than 6v6 didn't look like the game so we couldn't use these five parameters actually on um, on, on training the game. So that's why we say, all right, so if you want to, if we play a 5v5 or a 4v4, we do call it a position, uh, like, um, like a conditioning game, but it's uh, position A specific. So that means, um, yeah, so everyone, yeah, it takes position where you have to. And it also has to do with the way football is actually sit situated. Because if you have, uh, let's say you have four guys, and you, you play either in, in, in a diamond or you play in a, in a, in a, in a rectangle. Um, yeah, you know, if you have to put pressure, you have to come out of your position. Someone has to, like, get behind you or, or close down. So you don't have a specific position because if the ball goes out uh, and you want to put pressure again, it's the right guy who was, who was a midfielder 
but now becomes like a left defender. So we call that like, yes, we play those, those games and yes, it's, um, um, it's conditioning work, but it's more like we, we, we say like it's position, position A specific based on football actions. And that's why we, how we make the, the differences. So that we, we try to, uh, if we really do a conditioning game based on football, which we try to do every single training for an amount, let's say seven minutes or 10 minutes, or sometimes on a conditioning day, we do it like 30 minutes. We build it up all the way up to 30 minutes. Um, then the smaller, small-sided games are like, we, we, we periodize those separately. And they're more like periodized with the positioning game. You know, it's, it's totally, uh, it's like a different type of, of exercise. What did you say there, the, the netto playing time? What does, what does net, is netto stand for something? Yeah, it's like, um, I think it's gross and net, isn't it? Like oh, gross, net, okay. Yeah, so yeah, net, okay. I think, yeah. We say in Holland, bruto and netto. So it's like okay. gross and net. So it's more like um, the ball has to be in play all the time. The problem we actually saw is like if you uh, control it with heart rate, you want to have these lines, you want to have these ceilings. And if you have players being in their ceilings all the time, you know that the level is really high because it costs a lot of effort. You know, they're around their 85% of their maximum heart rate. But if you get these toothed um, blocks, that means that they're actually resting in between. So if you want to do a conditioning game, you have to make sure that they're in like total um they have to move around all the time there so the area like the the landscape should push them in uh, in a way that they always have to move around but if you leave the ball with the keeper um yeah you say all right so everyone just walks back or jogs back you know but if the coach plays the ball towards the keeper and you say all right press on the keeper that's actually when everyone uh, comes in into uh, high speed or into into action Otherwise, you just don't reach, reach the levels. And there's one other thing which is really important uh, next to that. So um, I also mentioned it before. It's like the work-to-rest ratio. Because you want to have the level of your play in the first block and the level of play in the last block to be like almost the same. We call that like the edge of chaos. So if you... Uh, so if you are below the edge of chaos, you actually jump onto your own level, you never make the step. But if you go too fast or too hard, your heart rate gets like you don't recover well enough. So having a lot of rest actually helps you to get the quality between the first and the last block in the same direction uh, or at the same level. But that doesn't mean that your last block can be a bit off, of course, because you do want to condition them. You, know, you do want to make sure that they reach an amount of fatigue so, uh, but if your second block already is really, uh, yeah, it's, it's less in quality and your heart rate rises and your external load drops, that means, all right, you know, it's, there's no use of going on because you probably get injured players the next day. With, with all this, Cedric, and, and these changes that have been made to your to the structure and how you train, what's been the result? Like, as, have things improved on the pitch? Have you got more robust, robust players, fitter players? How, what's, the, what's the result of these changes? That yeah, made? I think one of the biggest changes we have is that we don't have, uh, we can't find a game where we have uh, a decline in power in the last, uh, or external load in the last 15 minutes. We actually deliver the same the first half as the second half, which doesn't mean that we are playing better football. 
you know, that's, that's, that's a tough one because that's also a discussion I have with the coach. So he says, how does it help me to reach better, uh, to, to get better football players? But um, the thing we do notice is that uh, we, had a, we had a window where we had a couple of injuries actually in October. Uh, something went wrong. I don't actually, yeah, we did go through the data, of course, but something went wrong and uh, we had like three injured guys. So the team actually changed, but the guys who came in didn't show any decline in level. So we actually played, we had the same results at the time. So it's really difficult to measure everything, but I think um, getting, like it's definitely more fun in, play, in playing games than doing these runs, you know? If you have a guy with a laptop, and I'm the same guy, you know, I'm still there with the laptop, or I, I, I'm fortunate enough to have another guy with a laptop next to me. But, <laughs> um, like looking, all right, so he needs 100 meters more above 25. And then you have to pull guys out after, after, after training. So, all right, so now we're doing like four sprints of, of four, 50 meters. And they say, come on, you know, I don't feel mm-hmm. like it. So if you can show all these guys that they actually can reach everything within their game, yeah, there's, yeah you know, the, the, the sentiment of playing games and the intensity of the games goes up. And it helps you just um, have better vision, make better choices because the speed is uh, higher in the game. Which doesn't mean that you don't have to play any tactical games, of course. You know, it's just a part of training. But I think uh, we definitely have more resilient guys. And whether it's because we train this way or we do these football gym sessions or um, we have um, sleeping monitors or we have questionnaires, I actually don't know, you know. I I don't think we as performance people uh, or performance aliens are... um, our game changes, uh, yeah, our game changes in itself. But I do think that the the head coach or the manager uh, definitely is a game changer. But you can help the manager make his make choices uh, to have like um, all players being fit on the uh, in the team and making sure that uh, the first and the last minute look like each other, you know, in a relative way. So yeah. Um, I don't think I actually reached uh, a gold Olympic medal because we were training this way, but hopefully it helped two percent. I don't know. Cass, no, that's great, Rick. I mean, it, this is just a slightly different episode, but we've kind of based everything or a lot of the stuff around what happens in the field. And I'm really pleased that that's the case because this is where the action happens. There's and it's Definitely. it's great to get the the perspective from from your experience from coming from hockey and translating that into a football environment. So I really, really appreciate that. But Rick, if anyone wants to reach out to you and ask any questions about what we've discussed, anything else, anything what's going on at Feyenoord, where's the best place for people to contact you? Are you a social media guy? Yeah, I'm not a real social because at Feyenoord, you know, we got a lot of uh, fans. If you have a social media account, you probably get crazy. So, uh, but I think LinkedIn would be a a great, uh, a great place for, uh, for leaving a personal message. And I, uh, I definitely try to contact everyone. It's pretty busy on my LinkedIn, but uh, definitely try to, uh, to 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 give everyone a proper answer or maybe go into some nice discussions. I like to discuss. It also helps me improve my uh, my ideas about performance and about football, of course. Amazing. Well, thank you very much. I'm going to let you get back on with your evening, but really appreciate you giving up an hour of your time. It's been super, super insightful. Plenty of takeaways for people and uh, look forward to catching up soon. Yeah, it was all my pleasure and thanks for having me. Really awesome being uh, getting uh, the chance to have a chat with you. 
Oh, my pleasure, Rick. Thank you very much. Speak soon. See you. Bye-bye. Bye, mate. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to episode 341 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So thank you to Rick for giving up his time and chatting with us today. Thank you to you for tuning in. I hope you got lots out of it. Rick's a super, super interesting guy, and I hope you agree that that thread running through this conversation of that hockey experience and that gold Olympic gold winning experience and knowledge that had built up was was super super interested in how that actually has integrated into his time at Feyenoord. So also big thanks to the sponsors of the podcast today, Hawking Dynamics, I Measure You, Black Box Fitness, Kitman Labs and Perch. The podcast could not run in its current form without these guys and I really appreciate their support. So thanks for tuning in and I'll chat to you next week.